This episode is brought to you by Saga Fitness, the creators of the world's first wireless BFR cuffs. If you're somebody that travels regularly, if you're coming back from an injury, if you're somebody that just values efficiency, these wireless blood flow occlusion cuffs can help you out. They're backed by science and whether you're trying to increase muscle strength, muscle size, aerobic capacity, accelerate your recovery, I urge you to learn more. Go to artofcoaching.com slash partners and check out Saga Fitness. Again, that's artofcoaching.com slash partners, Saga Fitness. Click the link and you'll get a discount if you tell them Brett sent you. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. Today's episode, we have Ethan Cross. Now, Ethan is one of the world's leading experts on controlling the conscious mind. He's an award-winning professor at the University of Michigan's top-ranked psychology department and its Ross School of Business. He's the director of the Emotion and Self-Control Laboratory. And why I love this conversation so much is it's so much about the inner voice and how that can stagnate us or how it can propel us if we learn how to better harness it. You guys know that I am very much against any kind of fluff-based leadership. This is as practical as it gets. So please join me, tune in, and engage with Ethan Cross. Welcome back, everybody. I am here with Ethan Cross, the author of Chatter, The Voice in Our Head and Why It Matters. Ethan, thanks for sitting down with me. Hey, I've been looking forward to this conversation all day, Brett. Thanks for having me. Yeah, likewise. Listen, we're going to jump right into it. It's something we were talking about off camera and off air is our mutual disdain for one size fits all advice. Now, you know, sometimes guests get worried and think, oh, does this need to follow some kind of narrative? Doesn't need to follow a narrative other than things that people can relate to. So I'd love to know more about why chatter, what chatter is, and how it fits into this kind of rally against the one size fits all advice we see with mental health and the things we tell ourselves when we struggle in everyday life, if you don't mind. That's a hell of a question to start off, isn't it? Yeah, seven parts. Let's, let's, let's do it. So, um, so let's start with the what is chatter. Uh, so chatter refers to us getting stuck in a negative thought loop. And, and it can happen quite frequently, and it happens to most of us at some point in our lives. So um, here's how this works, right? Something negative has happened. You're, you're, you're thinking about something negative that could happen and you focus your attention inward to try to work through that problem. Hey, how can I fix this issue that occurred in the past? Or how can I prepare myself for this thing that I'm stressed about in the future? But rather than come up with a solution, you end up just spinning. You, you, you focus on the issue over and over and over again to the point where you become increasingly distressed in ways that make it really hard for you to think and perform 
in ways that can undermine your relationships with other people um, and also undermine your physical health. So that's what chatter is. And I think it is one of the big problems we face as a species. And I'm not trying to be overly exaggerating when I say that. If you look at the data and the statistics, which I have, um, it's, it's, it's quite astounding. Um, you know, the, the World Health Organization recently put a price tag on chatter in the form of anxiety and depression, which is when chatter really uh, is taken to an extreme. And that price tag was over a trillion dollars. I believe right? that, that's the that's the lost the the hit we take in terms of productivity in the workplace on the ball field, and that's just part of the the negative consequences, right? It also chatter can push other people we care about away because we think about our own problems when we're supposed to be listening to others, and that's not good, um, and damage our health. So um, so it's a big problem. It's what I've devoted my life to to studying uh, in particular the approach that I've taken is to use science, the methods of science to figure out, hey, we why is it that we have this pretty amazing tool, which is our mind, right? That can help us do all sorts of amazing things like build spaceships and vaccines and, and, and hospitals and all sorts of stuff, right? When we put our mind to it. But when it comes to solving a problem, like getting into an argument with someone else or or being concerned about how we're going to perform on a, on a big stage, we end up crumbling. So how can we use science to figure out why that happens? And most importantly, to identify tools that people can use to, to harness their mind, to make it work for them rather than against them. And I want to just focus for a second on that word I use, tools, plural. Because what we have learned is that there are no one-size-fits-all solutions to managing our chatter. There are a boatload of, of different types of tools that exist for helping us manage it. And I think science has done a great job identifying individual tools. But what we haven't yet figured out is how those tools come together for different people in different situations. And that's the, that's the challenge that I think listeners face, and that's what we're, we're doing lots of studies on right now. But I would be really weary of anyone who says, hey, I've got the one secret magic fix to your worry and rumination. I've been doing research in this space for a long time, and I have yet to see anything that comes close to providing a, a, a one-size-fits-all uh, solution. Uh, yeah, and it's a needed, and I appreciate the level of detail you went in with everything there. I'm, I'm glad you emphasized tool. Because what's interesting is you've provided a lot of research. I remember one article of yours in particular that I enjoyed was self-talk as a regulatory mechanism. And aside from reading your book, you know, when we do think of tools, it's great to have that information, right? How many, if you don't mind me asking, how many articles in total have you published? And there's a reason I'm asking this, but in general, how many have you been a part of or published? A little over a hundred. Right. Significant. And then this book, I mean, significant. I mean, you, your, your work is prolific. It's all over the place. What I love about it, though, specifically is it's practical because what we see is information alone doesn't change behavior. And it certainly mm -hmm. isn't going to change chatter, right? Mm -hmm. We can become more aware of it, right? We right. can, we all know that we do it. My, my chatter tends to take the uh, form of perfectionism, right? Even when doing research and saying, hey, I really enjoy this person's work. Wow, he's been interviewed by Anderson Cooper. Wow, he's been interviewed by this person, that person. What can I bring to the table? How am I, you know, who is probably a nobody to this guy going to make this an enjoyable conversation? But then it touches on something else you said. And this is where the skill, right? The tools can't just be information. It's got to be the skill of listening. I'm actually interested in you. 
And by and large, that's going to make our conversation go in a different place. I'd be fascinated knowing where your chatter comes from. What form does your personal chatter, because you're able to give words and, and names and meaning to that in a way that most people can't until they read your book. But I'm very fascinated by you, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about where this came from within you. So so my interest in chatter or my chatter triggers? I'm I want to know, I wanna know yeah, the form that your chatter, if, if you want to use that term triggers or just what, yeah. how would you kind of... Uh, when I say mine's very much based on perfectionism and wanting people to feel like they're having a great experience and they're heard and they're listened to and they're valued, what does yours tell you? I mean, even right now, if there's chatter going on. Yeah. You know, right now I'm, I'm knock on wood in a very happy place. There's no, no, no great, no terrible chatter. Um, so thank you for not eliciting any in me. Um, but that's not to say I don't experience chatter at times. Um, you know, I would say, uh, and I, let's back up. I think thinking about this, hey, what are our chatter triggers yep. is really important because, you know, all of us have our own unique chatter minefields, right, that can elicit these reactions. And knowing what those are, I think, is step one to figuring out how to navigate them. Uh, so when it comes to, like, my my kids, my kids' well-being, uh, my family's well-being, that is a potent source of chatter for me. When my one of my daughters gets sick, um, the world stops and, you know, I can begin to see that chatter brewing and, and I, I then take corrective action to nip it in the bud. Um, but I would say that's, that's probably one, um, when it comes to work, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely don't want to get things wrong. So I think there is that element to it. And I'm really careful about, about not getting it wrong. And, um, uh, but if it's a big project with high stakes, uh, certainly there can be some chatter. Hey, so when writing this book, right, this book is a distillation of, uh, you know, 20 years of of my professional life doing research. But as I talk about in, in my book, I, I've been thinking about these things for close to 40 years due to just, you know, my upbringing. Uh, I really didn't want to get things, you know, wrong with the book. So, you know, there'd be times where I'd work on a few chapters and then, in the middle of the night, I, 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 I dream about this stuff and, and I'd wake up, oh, did I, did I mess up? And so, um, so yeah, I, I have some triggers and they're probably, um, work and relationship based, but, but thankfully, um, I, I, I should also say that I do practice these tools and the stuff that I talk about in my own life and they do like benefit me quite a bit. So I'm never, I don't think I could ever tell someone you're never going to experience chatter again. If you use tools, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense given, given the way the human mind works. Right. But what I think the, how I think these tools can really help is when the chatter starts coming, bubbling up, you can use them to, to sniff that out really fast. And I think I've gotten really good at doing that. Two of those tools that I appreciated most is one that I've used for a while, but I think that you did a much better job explaining it to make it very tactical for people in the book is of course, distance-based self-talk. Now there's another one I want to talk about, but I don't want to throw seven part questions at you again. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit more about distance-based self-talk and how that can be utilized for people that are experiencing significant chatter. Sure. And, and you know, distance self-talk is probably my first line of defense when it comes to chatter. Um, and essentially, um, what it involves doing is try to give yourself advice like you would give advice to your best friend. 
Um, and use language to help you do that. Specifically, use your own name or the second person pronoun you to coach yourself through a, a problem. All right, Ethan, how are you going to manage a situation? If you think about when we use names and, and second person pronouns, most of the time we use those parts of speech. We use them when we think about and refer to other people. So there's a really tight link between names and thinking about others in our minds. And what that does for us when we use our own name to coach ourselves through a problem, it essentially turns on the, the, the mental machinery that we have for weighing in on other people's circumstances as opposed to our own. And that is really important. That's a very important skill because one of the things we know about people, all of us, is that we are much better at giving advice to other people than we are following our own advice, right? We have a saying for this, do, do as I say, not as I do. And so, so distant self-talk helps switch our perspectives. It puts us into that coaching mode, which we, we, we know can be really, really very useful. Um, in, interesting aside on this, on this strategy, we've done a lot of experiments on this in the lab. And um, one experience that really has stuck with me is in, in, in one study, we asked people to, to think about something that was causing them chatter, like really stressing them out. And we had them in one condition, try to just tell us what was going through their head when they were experiencing chatter. And the other condition we had them use distant self-talk. Participants in the first condition, when we just asked them, like they were just thinking about their problems normally. And we asked them to tell us what, the, what was on their mind. Some of them, like they felt uncomfortable actually sharing that with us. They were embarrassed to reveal how they were thinking about the situation, right? They were saying things to themselves that they would never dream of saying to someone else that they love or someone that they don't even love. Like, you're, you're a shit. There's no way you can do this. You're totally incompetent. Like many people, many of us sometimes think that way about ourselves. When would you ever tell your best friend or your kid or your partner that if they came to you for advice? I'd argue probably close to never. And so the question is, how can we shift away from that kind of inner critic mode into a more coaching orientation? And distance self-talk is one very easy to use tool that can help bring about that kind of mental shift. It's a great explanation. And I think something that's poignant and I'd like you to weigh in on is there are plenty of folks that think too, that that kind of self-talk doesn't happen to the perceived elite right? The LeBron Jameses of the world or whatever, however people, right? Who they look up to and what have you. And, you know, I find in, in my opinion, that is incredibly false, right? I understand how they could think that way, but having worked with athletes and a number of folks at, at very high levels, and, and you've done so as well in your own right, in your domains. I mean, I find sometimes it's even more common in these folks that have tremendous pressure because it's this idea, right, of perceived power. Oh, this person has power or status. Therefore, they must have resources that are far beyond mine to deal with this. And I think sometimes people forget that even though somebody might have greater social power or power base and rewards or what have you, any of those French and Raven traditional power structures, that also means that, you know, that fall from grace can be much more significant. Now, of course, relevant, right? Nobody's situation, it's not the suffering Olympics, but I think sometimes people don't always realize that that is only amplified in the world's elite. Can you tell us a little bit more about your views on that? Yeah, you know, I, I think in in an interesting way, chatter is democratizing. Um, it really levels the playing field. 
you know, doing my research over the years and and, and doing work on the book, I, I got a chance to speak to, you know, elite level athletes and coaches and C-level executives and doctors and all sorts of really, really accomplished individuals, along with everyone else. I mean, lots of other people, people who like stay at home parents and, and, and Starbucks baristas. And the constant was we all experience chatter at times and we often struggle with it. And so, you know, in the same way that COVID doesn't discriminate between different individuals, right? It, it can affect us all. The same is true with chatter. Now, I think um, one thing that does distinguish between the elite and not elite um, is often the access to tools. And, and that's certainly been true if we want to stick with the um, analogy to, to COVID and the vaccine and resources for taking care of yourself. There are huge disparities based on, on your position in society as to whether you have access to these resources. And, and one thing that I feel really strongly about, one of the reasons I like doing interviews like this, and one of the reasons I wrote my book is to get word out about what these different tools are. So they're not only reserved for for folks who have elite level mental fitness coaches or have access to to talks by top level academics and and whatnot, but really anyone who is motivated to work on managing their chatter. Um, And so I think, you know, the beautiful thing about the tools that, that I talk about in, in my book are that there was a lot of like really like hard science and, and, and thinking power that went into the identification of these tools. But a lot of them are actually quite simple to use once you know what they are. And I think, you know, that's one, one hope is that after people read the book or hear us talk, they have a better sense of, of, of where to look, right, to find these tools and they know how to use them. So like distance self-talk, Use your name to coach yourself through a problem. It's a really simple thing to try using. So give it a shot the next time you find yourself struggling. If it works for you, keep using it. If it doesn't work for you, pivot and use a different tool. You know, that, that, that's basically the, the, the approach that I endorse. I have conversations with myself to that effect all the time. I mean, even just, you know, during prior to COVID, I had worked for about two years creating a new workshop. And a lot of our work is centered around communication strategies during high stakes situations. Now, COVID came, knocked out about 20 live events. And a lot of these were events were tied to my doctorate. So, you know, when we started after, after some restrictions started easing up, we did small events and, you know, you had to kind of get back into it, blow some of the rust off. We had practice in some small pilot type scenarios. And I remember there were a few I just really didn't like, you know, I thought that my, my sequencing or some of the things that we were doing, I didn't get a beta test enough. And so I just felt rusty. And I remember telling myself, I'd be like, Brett, chill out. You know, there are some things for sure that can be improved. That's the nature of what this is. It's an iterative process. At the same time, Brett, did you show up? Were you on time? Did you answer questions? Is everything you're talking about research-backed or highly applicable? And reminding myself and telling myself, as you mentioned, with the use of my name, that a lot of people in this pseudo-leadership space just mail it in. 
they mail it in with a lot of hype slides that, you know, are just filled with cliches and what have you. So, you know, not that we want to get people into self-comparison, but when you are doing self-talk, you're right. You do need to say your name because to some, it might sound cheesy, but really it has a focusing effect. It keeps the talk on you instead of self-comparison to others. Before I move to another tool, that's one of my favorites. Is there anything that you wanted to say about that? Or am I doing that distance self-talk incorrectly? No, you're doing it right. Um, and, you know, I think one of the neat things is if once you have your antenna out looking for distant self-talk, you'll begin to see examples of it all around. Uh, there are a couple of stories I tell about people like LeBron James, as a matter of fact, and, and Jennifer Lawrence and the Nobel Peace Prize winner, Malala Yousafzai. They've all used this tool when under stress. So it's something that that is certainly out there um, and can be used. And one other thing I want to I want to just draw attention to what you said, Brett, because I think it is very important, and we haven't mentioned it yet. I want to give people just a framework for thinking about chatter. When people experience chatter, what often ends up happening is we zoom in really narrowly onto the distress, right? We become totally immersive. Oh my God, that workshop was awful. Like the 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 look on the people's faces, the eyes were glossing over and I was stuttering and I missed my talking points and it was over time. You were just bathing in the negativity. What often helps in those instances is precisely what you did, which is getting some distance, right? Stepping back to see the bigger picture. And that's what you did when you coach yourself through that problem, right? Or that experience. You said to yourself, hey, wait, but I showed up. Hey, I'm giving research back strategies, right? You, 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 you brought in the perspective just a little bit which gave you an alternative way of making sense of that experience. It is, it is usually possible for us to do that, right? As bad as the situation is, we can usually zoom out in ways that are really helpful. And, um, you know, I, if you don't know to do it, you don't. But the hope is that listeners will, will now try that um, and that'll help them. Absolutely. Another one that I thought was very practical and it ties in with you talking about broadening your perspective is the chatter board. And I want to give you a chance to explain this before I talk about some areas that we've seen a lot of success with that as well, both in my life and with our attendees. But please, if you don't mind, talk to us about the chatter board. So, you know, there, there are three types of tools that we can use for managing chatter. There are things we could do on our own. Distant self talks, one example of many. Um, then there are our relationships with other people. That's a second tool. That's where the chatter board comes in. The third, the third category, we may or may not have time to get into it, are tools in our environment. So ways of interacting with our physical spaces to help us. People tools is, I think, an incredibly important topic for people to spend some time thinking about because a lot of us reflexively know, we, we, we understand that other people can help us when we're dealing with chatter. And in many ways, other people are in an ideal position to help us because our problems usually aren't happening to them. So they have that distance. They have that broader perspective to help coach us through the situation. Um, But what we've learned from lots and lots of research is that oftentimes talking to other people doesn't help us work through our chatter and, and can actually make it worse. And the reason why that happens is many of us think that the route to to talking effectively about chatter is just just find someone to vent our emotions to. Just find someone to unload that distress. 
hey, you know, Brett, let me let me let me give you a call up. You're not going to believe what happened to me on this other interview. This son of a bleep said this happened just a moment ago before our interview. That's exactly what happened. I thought I I thought you were going to say it happened five minutes ago to you in this interview. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'm just joking. But but yeah, so like I start telling you about this awful experience and then you start saying, no way, that totally sucks. I mean, I can't believe they have the audacity. And we go back and forth. We, we kind of pinball back inventing that experience. What happens when we vent our negative emotion to someone else is as follows. That's really good for our friendship. That strengthens the connections between each, each other. Like it's good to know that you're there. You care enough about me to take the time to listen, to empathize, to validate my experience. But if all I do is vent with you about my feelings, I leave that conversation. I've done nothing to reframe my experience. So I leave the, the conversation just as pissed off as, as I was when I started. The best kinds of conversations for helping people work through chatter do two things. It is important to find someone who will take some time to listen to what you're going through. They do need to learn about what you're feeling and, and feeling validated is really important. But at a certain point in the conversation, the person you're talking to ideally helps you reframe that experience. Yeah. Like, look at the bigger picture. Hey, You've done hundreds of workshops, man. You know, and none of them were ever that bad. And I'm sure this one wasn't either. Hey, we'll get back to the episode here in a moment, but there's something I want to point out that's really critical. It's not just self-talk or this chatter that can keep us from improving in the ways that we want, but also our perception of skills that we take for granted every day specifically communication. Though we're all born with the ability to communicate, that skill degrades with time and lack of practice, just as muscles atrophy with lack of use or adequate overload. That's why we call it social atrophy when people just stay in their own bias lane and they think I'm already good at communication. Why should I need to work on interaction? Isn't it just motivational stuff you're teaching me? No, you know, and that's the irony. If you ask people if they believe that communication is important, most will say, yeah. If you ask them to rank themselves on how strong of a communicator they believe themselves to be between one and 10, they'll even give you a score or a subjective answer. But then if you ask them how they actually came up with that score, and if they've ever actually been evaluated as a communicator, the answer is almost always a resounding no. And that's an issue. People will always go to great lengths to ignore simple truths. But the fact is, the stronger we become as communicators, the more likely we're able to grow in nearly every area of our life. So please join us. We have three more workshops done this year and you're always gonna find an excuse. There's never gonna be enough time. There's never gonna be enough money. We all have hectic lives. But my question is, is think about all the times that you wish you had back, the times where you put your foot in your mouth, the time where you made a decision under pressure that wasn't the best. What would that cost you? What would that save you if you could do it again? These are the skills we're trying to teach. We're trying to give you proactive perspective. We are going to be in Wales. We are going to be in Asheville, North Carolina. Spots are going fast. Check it out at artofcoaching.com slash apprenticeship. Again, that's artofcoaching.com slash apprenticeship. This is open to people from all professions, all ages, all walks of life. We'll see you there. All right, back to Ethan Cross. Look at the bigger picture. Hey, 
you've done hundreds of workshops, man. You know, and none of them were ever that bad. And I'm sure this one wasn't either. Or we just came off a pandemic. We haven't like seen another human being live for several months. Of course, you're going to be a bit rusty. At least you're back in the space and you're right. So lots of ways of shifting our perspective. That's what makes a really good chatter advisor. Someone who listens, but then at the appropriate time helps you reframe. And I think there are, so I think there are two important take-homes from this science that I would love listeners to take with them from this conversation. The first is if you find yourself struggling with chatter and you want to talk to someone else about, think, think really hard about who in your life can help you not just listen, help not just listen to you, but also help you reframe. It's not always going to be the people who are closest to you who love you the most. There's some people who I love, they love me. I don't talk to them about my chatter. They just make it worse. Who are the people who are really skilled in this regard? Those are the people to talk to. And then the flip side is if someone comes to you with a problem, right? Try to be a really good chatter advisor to them. Don't just listen, but also at the appropriate time, help them reframe that experience. That's the formula. Um, and and I, I use the metaphor of the board having a board of advisors because I think it is... Um, really helpful. If you think about companies, companies have board a board of advisors, like people who are carefully selected, who are wise in the ways of that company, right? You, you go to your board when you're struggling with something. And I think we'd all benefit from, from thinking really carefully and putting together our own board of advisors. So, so that's my shtick on, on other people and, and how they can help us. I'd love to hear about how this concept plays into your work, because you mentioned it does. Yeah, so when we talk about <clears throat> the board, what I've found is a lot of times, and, and you mentioned so many anchor points there, is it's important to have the board, but also a board that is non-biased, right? And that's tough to do, because we, of course we all have biases, right? But we find that one activity we do at our workshops is the old Joe Harry window, right? This act of self-disclosure, hey, here's where I'm more open about certain things than others, here's what I'm struggling with, here's where I'm closed off. And it, it can be really interesting, especially in the world that I primarily came from, sports performance, where people would do a lot of their professional development in-house, right? They'd say, oh, we're going to bring somebody in. We're going to do this. We're going to take this activity. But inevitably, because they're not aware of the power structures, right, they, they fail to understand that, well, I don't know that your assistant or that this subordinate is always the best fit for your chatterboard, so to speak, or any form of continuing development, because they, they're just going to continue to reinforce some of the things that you may believe. Now, of course, there's going to be some folks listening that are like, ah, no, not me, not my staff or what have you. And so I think it's always important to have on that chatterboard a couple of people that, yeah, they may see it your way and that's inevitable. You're going to have those people at ease of reach, right? They're in your, they're in your Rolodex, but also a couple of people that don't really agree with you. And that was what was critical for me is I reached out to one of my critics not that long ago and I said, hey, I know my stuff's not for you, but I don't think we've ever really sat down and, and talked about why. And we had a really engaging discussion. Turns out he didn't know my work as well as he thought he did, vice versa. And we found some ways that we could help each other move board, uh, forward just by being a little bit more of a healthy devil's advocate. Tell me why you think this would suck. Tell me why. And everybody's language is going to be their own, right? With my chatterboard, we can speak frankly and it's tongue in cheek, but we know what we're getting at. That vernacular is appropriate. It may not be for everybody. So what we saw in our work, since you asked, is when people would come to these workshops, what we call the apprenticeship, we would mix people up because inevitably you'll get folks from different vocations. 
and they don't get to choose their chatterboard. But when they're going through this Joe Harry window, when they're talking about things that they struggle with, that they're open about, that they're not open about, now they can still go back to what you said, Ethan, of broadening their perspective and say, you know, now these people are saying, hey, I, I wonder why you're not open about that or why do you struggle with that or why do you think of it this way or why do you think of it that way? And now we found that that, uh, that devil's advocate-based, even stranger-based chatterboard allows for so much more freedom of expression. And I know when we talk about the, the tools related to environment, and we will have time for it, I'll make time for it to honor your time because I think it's great, goes into you know organizing the space, creating a little bit less chaos. But this is where now I would, and of course, in, in a friendly way, push back and say sometimes that chaos in the environment of, of those social others, because they blend together, can be good because we need somebody to disrupt that way of thinking. And so I just found that those things fit so wonderfully together when you get people in an environment that's a little bit based on improv, some mutual self-disclosure amongst strangers who don't really gain anything other than, I guess we all want to be liked, right? They could BS you to say, I want you to feel comfortable, but that's made your work even more impactful because now some people are like, no, yeah, like what you're thinking about here is is not true. And we can, and we'll videotape some of these interactions and we'll show them because sometimes they need to see that. And yeah. so there's a lot wrapped in there, but I'm even curious when I read your book, if even if using video or surrounding yourself with little things like that helps with environmental forms of chatter, right? Or in terms of that toolbox, or if it is really just more about kind of this idea of, hey, get your stuff together, tidy this up, quit having messes everywhere, quit, quit ad hoc. So threw a lot at you, but at least hopefully it's, it's honest examples of how we utilize your work or at least look at aspects of your work. Yeah. Well, I think you, you by no means want to surround yourself by yes men and yes women. You want to have, you know, there's a lot of data which shows the benefits of diversity. And, and what I mean by diversity is cognitive diversity, having people who represent different points of view and, um, I mean, I could tell you that my chatterboard is is quite diverse. Um, you know, when I go to folks with my problems, I'm not getting the same solution from them, the same advice about how to deal with things. What I'm hoping to do is um, have people help me think through whatever issues I'm grappling with from a variety of different angles, because I want to make sure I'm looking at it from every angle possible so I can identify the optimal solution. And I realize that I have blind spots. I can't always see every angle on something myself. And if I just go to one person, they've got their own blind spots. So that's why I think it really is about not just one person, but a larger board. And I think it's very that that is very much consistent with um with what you're talking about. We actually in academia, we have something called um hostile collaborations where sometimes like we will seek out our fiercest opponents uh in in our you know, professional space and, and actually partner up with them. Uh, it's not always fun to do it. I will say <laughs> it is sometimes, I mean, you know, sounds like this, this, uh, you know, philosophical ideal, right. But, but, you know, the, the, it's hard to always strip away the person from the, the science. Sure. And, um, but those kinds of collaborations can sometimes be really, really helpful. Um, so let's shift to talking about the environment. So environment. Oh, no, you don't want to go there. Oh, no, please, I said, please. please. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I thought, it, I thought it was a wait. No, come on, um, come on to my show and I'm going to completely roadblock you. Let's not talk yeah, about yeah, any yeah. of that. No, please. Uh, well, you, you know, you, you teed it up. Um, and one, one point I want to make big picture before we go into those tools is that some of the tools that, that I talk about, 
do the same thing from different angles. So to use like the analogy of, of working out, um, there are lots of ways to work out your bicep, like lots of different exercises. And, you know, some people like some exercises better than others. I personally prefer like alternating, rotating dumbbell curls, as opposed to like preacher curls or what I mean, sorry, but I, I you're fine. I get it. Yeah. Okay. You get it. Right. So there are, so, and some of the tools take that form. Like there are multiple distancing tools that I talk about in the book and, and some, some people like some better than others. Um, great. It's wonderful that we have options, but then there are also different kinds of tools, tools that do, do help us in other ways. Right. So we don't just want to strengthen our biceps There are other muscles. We want to strengthen to, to, to work out well, to be able to function well in the world. The same is true when it comes to chatter. So let's talk about one of those other kinds of tools. Um, and uh, it, it's really simple. Um, you know, uh, let's talk about organizing our spaces. I, I am not a super organized guy. Um, me neither. Okay. Well, but you're looking pretty good right now, as is my office right. right behind me. And the thing, so for me, the thing to keep in mind is, Usually there are papers piled all over the place, but when I'm experiencing chatter, I find myself organizing. I clean things up. I make piles. I do the dishes. Uh, lots of people report doing this spontaneously without thinking. They clean. They organize when they're stressed out. This isn't just, you know, there's, it's not just chance that is driving people to do that. What we've learned over the years is that when you're experiencing chatter, your thoughts are disorganized. You feel like you don't have control, right? The chatter's in control, not me. Like who would want to feel worried all the time? Not many. And so what we've learned is you can compensate for that lack of internal control that, that you feel by exerting control in your physical spaces, by organizing, by cleaning up. That's one way that you can harness your surroundings to, to, to help manage this uh, unruly voice in your head. Closely related to that idea is something that lots of athletes do and lots of people who are in the performing arts do, which is engage in a ritual. Rituals are, are I like to think of rituals as a kind of ancient chatter fighting tool that our cultures often give us. Um, sometimes it's our religion, sometimes it's our where we live, sometimes it's a sporting team that we belong to, but Essentially, what a ritual is, a ritual is a rigid, structured sequence of behaviors that we engage in the same way every time that has meaning to us. Oftentimes, you know, so a lot of athletes like in basketball, before they go to, to hit a free throw, they'll like have a little ritual. They'll spin the ball a few times, bouncing yeah. always the same number of times before they shoot, right? Like bouncing the ball and spinning it a few times has nothing to do with getting it in the net but it's something that those athletes do. In football, I've got, I'm, I'm looking at football jerseys behind you, so I'm, I'm, I'm primed here, but in football, oftentimes, um, you know, quarterbacks will, will give the same kind of uh, final parting message to the crew before they go for a big play, right? The same kind of pump up talk, and that sets everyone up. That's a ritual. What we know about rituals, rituals are another way of helping us manage our chatter. Because what they do, rituals are under our control, right? So there's something that when our mind is out of order, so to speak, we can do that ritual to get straightened out, to get focused. And research shows that they not only help people feel better when they're experiencing chatter, but, but they also improve performance under stress. So that's another 
kind of tool people can use um, that follows that same um, same logic. Yeah, rituals are definitely pervasive. I remember, you know, I probably had a little bit too much OCD at one point in my life. I took the ritual thing a little too far. I remember one time when when some things were a little bit out of control when I was younger, and this was when I was a teenager. My audience is, is familiar with it. I did deal with some depression and what have you, and it was a particularly interesting time. Had a lot of friends that got into really hardcore drugs. I went a different path, but we all have our own demons. And I remember one time, you know, I'd hit a home run, and the night before, I was trying to get this lamp to work, and I must have turned this thing on seven or eight times. And so then after that, you know, I developed all these odd little things that I'd done, but I turned that light on seven or eight times. And so it's interesting because I found that, and and I found this with some of the athletes that I've coached as well, and you definitely see this with some executives, is the same thing that can reduce chatter, if they're not careful, can increase it because then it becomes this coping mechanism for something else that they're reliant upon. So is, is there a time where, you know, these rituals and tools that can be so helpful where you feel like, cause we talked about the disdain for one size fits all advice, right? Uh, is there a situation either in your life or your work? And I understand you have to respect anonymity, but any story you could talk about where it's like, yeah, up to a point, you know, this can help, but you also want to make sure you don't get lost in that because it could be disguising where you need to battle that chatter somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the the, the mantra here is flexibility sure. and, and moderation, right? Like we want to be flexible with how we use these tools and not take them to an extreme. And certainly if we find that they're not serving us well, we should lay off on them. Um, the way I like to think about these tools is not that dissimilar from how I think about physical tools. Like my grandfather was a carpenter. And I remember one time he was remodeling my, my parents' basement. It was like a, I forget what. It was a gift he was doing for us, right? And I remember taking his hammer as a little kid and I started like just banging it against the cement and just totally ruining the platform in the backyard. Think of a hammer as a tool. A hammer is an amazing tool. It is what allows us to build things, right? But a hammer in the wrong hands and used improperly can be the source of massive destruction. And that I think is true of of most tools, most psychological tools as well. You want to use those tools skillfully um, in moderation. Like, let's go back to distant self-talk. That's a really useful tool for for people who are struggling with chatter in the heat of the moment. What if you use that tool when you're dealing with a positive experience, right? Like, I don't want to be distanced when I'm hanging out with my kids at the playground and having fun, kicking the soccer ball around. All right, Ethan, what are you going to do? Like, no, I want to be totally immersed in that situation because that brings me enormous joy. It's all first person for me. I, me, my, what are, I'm having so much fun. And so you need to know how and when to use the tools. And, um, and, you know, those are the kinds of things that I talk about um, in the book, but but just to mushroom out one second more on this point, because I think it is really, really important. I think what we're talking about here is, is A, we want to be aware, what are the tools that are out there? And then we want to start thinking about how can we skillfully incorporate these tools into our lives, right? Like that is a challenge for, I think, all of us to figure out. Science has not gotten to the point in this space where I can give Brett and Jimmy and Karen and, you know, whoever else, whatever else names active in my head right now. I can't give you each your personalized toolbox formula 
like based on a single survey that you complete or one interview that we do together. I can give you some suggestions to figure out, but ultimately you have to do the kind of experimenting in your own life that we do when we do studies to figure out how are these different tools working for me? What are the optimal combinations? And, and that's, that's a challenge I think is not a daunting one, but can be, you know, a fun one to try. And, you know, the potential payoffs I think are big. Without question. And I have to say, you know, and, and I, I'm going to honor your time, but there's two points I want to make. The first one based off of that might've been the favorite of my conversation so far, specifically because when you talk about, Hey, you're going to have to experiment here. There are many chatter triggers and there are many tools, but nobody, right? Even you can say, this is the exact tool for the exact moment for this exact trigger. And I think that has a hot spot for me and my listeners know this because I talk about this stuff in my own book. We talk, we talk about archetypical patterns of behavior and different communication strategies, things beyond the typical rah-rah that you see in leadership books, right? And how to ethically use influence and power dynamics and persuasion. But inevitably, people want to systematize that so much. And then you're saying, no, you're, you're missing the point, right? And let's say even if you and I were able to provide that with our relative bodies of work, well, we know that that doesn't work the same in Western culture and Eastern culture or for uh, folks that are, you know, a little bit later on in life and folks that are younger. Like we have to get rid of this way of thinking, right? This, I, hey, tell me how, tell me what to think. No, we need to teach you how to think. Become yeah. familiar with Ethan's work, become familiar with yourself, gain some contextual propriety and be willing to do the work. Otherwise the tools don't do, I might say they don't do any good, but they don't do the best they can for you. I mean, feel free to, you're hitting the nail on the head. And I think, you know, a lot of folks who I talk to in this space who are steeped in this work, whether it be from the academic side or the, the kind of communication side of it, but people who really know this space really resonate with the argument that you're making right now, right? We can, we can give people ways of thinking about their problems, tools that they can leverage into their situation to help them, but, but we can't magically fix everything, right? It's up to the individual to try to figure out how to use these tools profitably. And, you know, given the complexity of, you know, let me stop there. Human beings are are the most complicated organism that we know of, right? Like I, I read a report recently, there, you know, a human neuron, like one biological neuron, we still haven't figured out how that actually works, how we could capture that in, in, in computer language. It's incredibly complicated. So given the complexity that characterizes all of us, why would we possibly think that one single strategy would work for someone across all situations, across all people, across all cultures. It just doesn't make any sense, right? And so let's honor the let's 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 embrace the complexity of who we are and figure out how to work with that complexity skillfully. And that I'm confident that we can do using science as a guide. Yeah, no, spot on. And we need to quit being disappointed in that advice. And part of me worries that the kind of, and of course it's said tongue in cheek, right? The kind yeah. of uh, Ted talky leadership-based advice we've been getting for a long time. And again, that's no disrespect to Ted. I think anybody listening in our audience, and hopefully you know what I mean, right? When there are some times where 
we 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 want to seem like we want to seem like we have this idea, we have this answer, we have this big thing that can solve the problems. Or with all these people out there that want to promote these quick fixes and pedal, we, we have to retain some accountability, right? And but we've been primed to believe that this thing is out there, this magic tool. And I always tell people, I said, and even if it was, you'd still have to develop the skill to be discerning with it. You know, if there ever was, and this will be the last one I'll ask you, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it's a, a soft toss, but it's also one that makes you smile because I certainly love that you put it out there. If there was anything that nearly works for everybody, man, is it getting outdoors. And, and I want to ask a question on behalf of my audience. I know I perceive this in, in, as, as an environmental tool, right, of, you know, getting green spaces or what have you, or for, you know, the longest time I bugged my wife and I'm like, I'm getting a hot tub. She hates hot tubs. She's always hot. And I said, I hear what you're saying, but this stuff works for me. Just going out on a walk and all that is great for what have you. But I joke, I'm like, I swear to God, every time I get in a hot tub, my brain just gets flooded. It's like a think tank. And so managing part of my stress and anxiety, whether it's during COVID or whether it's becoming a new father or any of these things, I try to make that somewhat of a routine that sometime in that damn day, I'm going out there. And then I find, now sometimes it works against me, Ethan. I'll sit there for 15, 20 minutes and I'll get so much clarity that I reach for my phone, which I shouldn't bring out there to begin with. And I'll yeah. start typing something up. Uh, but you know, talk to us about the impact that getting outdoors has on chatter. Yeah. Well, I love, I love the hot tub example. Um, you know, for me, it's actually a bath. Uh, I take one every night and, uh, it's, it's, it's actually, it's thinking time and it works incredibly well. Um, and I, I know of no other person who does that, uh, as their tool. So, you know, so I, I love to hear that, that water activities are popular with you as well. So, but nature, nature freely available, the data here are really robust and, I just love the fact that there's a there's a there's a free tool out there for all of us um, that can help with chatter and 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 it as simple as going for a walk in nature, enhancing your exposure to green spaces. There are two ways this works. Let me just briefly mention them Please. to folks because because it'll I think help people benefit from it. So when you are experiencing chatter, it can consume your attention, and we know that attention is limited. This is why it's so hard to like not just read a few pages in a book, but remember what you've read when you're experiencing chatter. Your mind's somewhere else. You can't focus on the issue. What nature does is it provides a natural way of restoring our attention. Because when you walk in a safe, natural space, a green space, what happens is you're surrounded by really interesting like things, right? Like leaves and bushes and flowers. And so our attention naturally drifts to our surroundings but not in a really demanding way. It's not like we're focusing hard on a problem. We're just kind of like taking it all in. And when, and when we when we do that, that gives our, our attentional systems time to recharge. Um, and when they're recharged, it makes it much easier for us to manage our chatter. So that's one way that nature can help. The other thing that nature can do for us is it provides us with opportunities to experience the emotion of awe. Awe is an emotion we experience when we're in the presence of something vast and indescribable. And nature is filled with awe triggers like beautiful sunsets or trees that have been there for hundreds of years and weathered storms. Um, when we experience awe, what ends up happening is something that scientists call, we experience a shrinking of the self. We, we, we feel smaller and with us, our chatter feels smaller when we're contemplating something vast and indescribable. Like it's hard to really... You know, I'm putting so much into, oh my God, I said the wrong thing to my colleague earlier today. 
And now I'm contemplating the fact that like, you know, um, this tree has been here for hundreds of years and weathered all these storms. It's hard to, to maintain that perspective of this chatter as a center of everything when we realize that we're, we're, we ourselves are a small piece in this much bigger puzzle um, or world. The other thing about awe really fast is we get, we can find awe in experiences of nature, but we can also find it elsewhere. So, you know, walking down a city street, like looking up at a skyscraper, that fills some people with awe. Uh, other, you know, parents often report feeling awe when they, when they watch their kids do something monumental, right? Like performing the first time in a, in a, in a production or taking their first steps. So, so you could find awe in nature, but, but you could also find it elsewhere. And so if you're thinking about trying to like design a life that is characterized by lower levels of chatter, uh, one suggestion is to think about how you can structure your surroundings to increase your exposure to green spaces and the give yourself more opportunities to experience awe on a regular basis. Uh, the science suggests that, that should help. Very tactical and practical advice. I appreciate the depth of detail you go into. I mean, I literally can't tell you how refreshing that is. Uh, and and I, we've given our audience so many tactics to utilize, and this will be in our reflections and our notes as well. Now, I'd love for you to provide us with an opportunity to know where we can best support your work. Of course, your book, Chatter, is available worldwide. You're on Instagram, at Ethan Cross. That will be linked. Where else can we support you and your work? Well, the best way to, to find out more about, about me, about my lab's research, about the book is to um, check out my website, www.ethancrosswithak.com. And um, there's lots of information there. You can take a, a quiz to see how well you know your inner voice. There's some downloads, some useful information on, on tools that you could find there as well. It's a newsletter you can sign up for um, where I talk about these kinds of issues periodically as well. Perfect. Well, Ethan, I want to thank you again for giving us the time. I look forward to hopefully future conversations with you and thank you for putting what you did out into the world. Guys, until next time, Brett Bartholomew, Art of Coaching Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.